Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to challenge you to follow Christ, and to inspire you to lead a consecrated life. Born to Italian immigrants, Daniel Calcagno grew up in Canada near Niagara Falls and attended a Pentecostal church. After he began taking his faith seriously, he started researching the Jewish people, especially those who believe in Jesus, the so-called Messianic Jews. Over time, he founded Messianic Niagara, a local group with a website that promoted audio teachings. However, it was in listening to Michael Brown's show that Calcagno came across the biblical Unitarian theology of Anthony Buzzard. For some time, he had felt uneasy about the Trinity, and now he had an alternative that fit much better with the Bible's Hebrew context. Now, he serves as the pastor of Glad Tidings Church of God in Font Hill, Ontario, Canada. And here is his story. Interview 34, From Pentecostal to Messianic Unitarian, with Daniel Calcagno. All right, Daniel, thank you so much for taking some time out today to talk with me on Restitutio. My pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Let's start in the beginning. Did you grow up in a Christian home? I did, yes. And what was that like? So, you know, I was... uh Born in a small, relatively small city, Welland, uh, about 20 minutes from Niagara Falls. And but my dad and my, my parents are are Italian immigrants, so they moved to Toronto in the 70s and then here to Welland in the Welland area in the, in the the late 70s. And then I was born in the early 80s. But my parents became Christians in the 70s. They uh-huh. attended an Italian Pentecostal church, and that's actually the reason why they moved to Welland. There was a, an Italian Pentecostal church here in, in, in town, and I believe it was the pastor of that church asked my dad to, to come and to move the family here and to work here and just to be a leader in that church. But as you know, I have four older siblings, and so I'm the fifth of, of five, and my parents felt that, you know, saw the need for their kids to be growing up in an English-speaking church. So they moved uh-huh. us... Uh, to a local Pentecostal church, and and that's where I grew up. Uh, so I grew up in a Pentecostal church, uh, an Assemblies of God Canadian version of that. So yeah, just for all the listeners, uh, I'm I'm Canadian, so you know not far from the uh, Niagara Falls New York border, but but nevertheless, I uh, grew up in Ontario, Canada here. Right, you are about as American as a Canadian gets. <laughs> that's right, <laughs> living right on the border there. That's right, and. Uh, so growing up, was your experience pretty good in the church? Were you very involved or was it just something your family made you do? Oh, well, it's, it's a little of both, but like we were certainly sincere believers. I, I can speak for myself. You know, my parents were devoted and dedicated uh, both to, you know, being Christians, but also to, to that church. And so we all grew up in that sort of an environment. So to us, being part of the church family and, and going to church on Sundays and being involved in, in things throughout the week, that was that was the norm. That was the thing to do. So that was just life. I, di- I didn't really have any, under, uh, any other exposure to anything else besides church life in that way. For me, throughout my teen years, I was involved in, in the youth group and, and that sort of thing. And that's what, sort of what kept me there at church. And that's why I said it was kind of both, both uh, making me do it and, and also a sincere thing because I think I sincerely believed to whatever knowledge I had 
to what, whatever degree of knowledge that I had, I sincerely believed, but it wasn't a real commitment thing until I was about 19 or 20 years old. All right, so let's talk about that. What happened then? People will often go through uh, tough times and, and finally realize their need for the Lord. And, and that's what happened to me when I was about 19 years old. I, as young people do, they, they have uh, relationships that fall apart and, and things that go on in their lives. And that's what happened to me. And I, and I finally realized my need for God, not just in a, in a religious sense, but in a personal relationship sense that, that I needed to, to be committed to God myself. And, and I did what, what I thought, you know, I needed to do. And I called out to Jesus and, and I experienced what we would have called and what I would still sort of call a, a born again experience. You know, I, I had uh-huh. a real transformation in my, in my heart. Sure. That wasn't necessarily the beginning of your formation, but that was a pivotal moment yeah. along the way where you really repented and started to live for Christ. Right. Yeah, it, it, it changed the direction of my life because up until that point, especially at that point, I, I was aimless and not knowing what to do with my life. But this really gave me purpose and, and really pointed me in the direction of, of where I am today. Okay, so at this point, were you already you already graduated from high school? Do they yes. have high school in Canada or is it, they call it something else? <laughs> no, it's it's high school, yeah. And I, I was uh, at that point in time going to college in a lo- local community college and 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 uh, but again, you know, not really knowing what to do with my life and and this finally gave me the the direction to go in. Uh what direction was that? Well, it, just in terms of in those months after I committed my life to God for, for, in a sincere way, I was, you know, devouring the Bible. I was reading as much of the Bible uh, as I could. I, I was aware, you know, it, it's pretty hard to go to church every Sunday and not hear the Bible. So I was obviously aware of stories and, and figures and these sort of things. But now I was reading it through the lens of my own personal experience, and it was meaningful now. So I was attempting to learn everything I could about what I was reading, and. And so it, it's along that path, and this is where my story, you know, takes takes an interesting turn. I begin asking myself questions about what I'm reading, and seeking to find out answers. So, what was the f- first like major epiphany you had, where you started researching and you saw something different than what you grew up with in the Pentecostal church? Growing up in a Pentecostal church, uh, we, we certainly uh, spoke of Israel and supported both, you know, the modern state of Israel and, and, and just Jewish people in general in that sense. But for me, I had no real awareness of of what the Jewish people today believed. So I'm reading the Bible for really the first time in my life, and I'm beginning to understand it's a book about many things, but certainly about the nation of Israel and their journey and their destiny. And so I ask myself, you know, what do the Jewish people today believe? And I sort of knew they didn't, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So that was a real question I had. Why don't they believe that Jesus is the Messiah? So I, I'm off to discover that they have many reasons why they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. But then there are some, there's not a lot, but there are some Jewish people who do believe Jesus is the Messiah and, and they would consider themselves Messianic Jews. So this was a, a big discovery for me. Right. You're looking at websites and stuff, looking at what do these, these wait, these people are still here. Right. They're reading about them. And there are some who reject Jesus and some who believe in Jesus. Right. And so and then you were naturally attracted to the ones that believe in Jesus because you believe in Jesus, right? Exactly. 
And so how did, so you started making connections with folks or looking at websites or what was next? Yeah, it was it was mainly through through websites online, you know, and, and, and you have to consider just how blessed we are to be living in a time when when you could have a question like I did and like so many people other other people have as well. And you just go online and you find these answers. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I discovered certain, I guess you could call messianic uh, ministries or congregations. And and one of the, the main uh, ministries that I found was First Fruits of Zion, FFOZ. They are a ministry that attempts to teach what Messianic Jewish people today believe. Discovering what Messianic Jewish people today believe, uh, you know, along the lines of what we Christians would call the law, the law of Moses. In Hebrew, it's called the Torah. And and they have the, this position, and I can't say that every single Messianic Jewish person has this position, but it's it's a certainly a position out there among Messianic Jewish people that that the commandments of God, things that we Christians uh, don't really talk about too much, like the Sabbath and the, the festivals, Passover and, and so on, and keeping kosher and, and uh, just some of the elements of Judaism that, that uh, Jewish people, traditional Jewish people still engage in, but we Christians really don't have any knowledge about it or, or, or interaction with, with it. So I'm learning that they have this view that not only are those things not done away with, but it's something that, that especially Jewish believers, but even Gentile believers like myself, could engage in and, 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 and be a part of. Uh-huh. Does this lead into your discovery about the difference in the belief about God as well? So going along, learning about, uh, I guess, what you could call the, the Jewish roots of, of our faith, of the Christian faith, I began to ask other kinds of questions along those lines, and, and I discovered that certainly traditional Jewish people do not believe uh, that God is a trinity. Um, they believe God is a single person. But I, as, a, as a mainstream Christian, still at that point, I certainly had a devotion to the idea that Jesus is, is literally God. But I could tell that in my own thinking, I, I, did not, I no longer had a, an allegiance to the official orthodox doctrine of the Trinity. So I was, I was left with questions. How is Jesus God? And, and, and how does that make sense with what the Bible teaches? And, and so I was actually listening to a radio program by uh, somebody named Dr. Michael Brown. He's a, he himself is a Messianic Jewish uh, believer, still heavily evolved in, in Christianity, but but he but he's Jewish uh, of Jewish origin, and he and he has some of those interests. Um, listening to his program, and and he actually had a guest on that was debating him about the issue of the uh, the deity of Jesus and the preexistence of Jesus, and. I'm listening to this program and I'm, I'm, I'm finding myself fully interested in, in what this person was saying. And, and this person's name was Anthony Buzzard. And uh-huh. he, was, he was presenting you know, what we know as the biblical Unitarian position. And it totally intrigued me. And so at, at that point, it was off to discover you know, what he had to offer and, and who else believed what he taught. All right. Well, let me pause that there. So going back then... Why wouldn't you just write him off as mm. a heretic, as a wacko? I mean, why did you even have openness to consider the Trinity might be wrong already? And was that because of the influence of the First Fruits of Zion ministry, or was it because of other study that you did? The curiosity I had about biblical Unitarianism in particular, but just questioning the Trinity in specific, is something that 
is out there in the Jewish roots movement, the Messianic movement, whatever you want to call it. Um, there, there is a skepticism of the Trinity, uh, the doctrine of the Trinity in the Messianic world. But there's no great answers that they're providing, that, at least as far as I could tell. Even First Roots of Zion um, doesn't touch the issue. They just simply, as far as I understand, they, they use biblical language, but they don't teach one way or the other. So Anthony Buzzard's presentation of biblical Unitarianism was for the first time, somebody giving me a, a way to understand it that made complete sense. Um, it, it just seems so obvious that the Father is God and Jesus is the Son of God, and that has real meaning. And there's no reason to muddy the waters with the doctrine of the Trinity or something like that. And during this time, too, did you already have your own ministry, your own, your own like Bible study and online ministry, or was that later? No, th- this was uh, a couple years previous to, to listening to that radio program with Anthony. I had a desire to, to teach myself, to, to learn and, and to teach others what I, what I was learning. And so within the context of the Pentecostal church I was going to, I started a, a Bible study group and we, we met on Saturday mornings and, and uh, you know, several people jo- joined that group. For various reasons, we, we decided to move and, and to meet in my parents' home, which is where I was living at the time before I was married. The, the group sort of followed me and, and uh, I no longer attended that Pentecostal church and, and I just found myself leading this Friday night group. We, we were meeting on Friday nights to honor the beginning of the Sabbath and we were doing Bible studies and, and learning as much as we could. And I started a website, MessianicNiagara.com. And the real reason behind that was not only to, you know, somewhere to put some of the teachings that I was doing, but to see if there was anybody else out there that there was an intention. I intentionally put the words Messianic and Niagara together to find out if anybody in the Niagara region here where I live um, had that same um, view and, and, and same interest. And we've met many, many people throughout the years because of that, uh, you know, oh, connecting okay. with us. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. So you already had this this group and they're mostly still attending the Pentecostal church? Yeah, some of them still attend that Pentecostal church, and then uh, some of them uh, have moved on to uh, Glad Tidings, where I'm where I'm currently pastoring. All right, so let's talk about the Glad Tidings connection. After you started questioning the typical, quote-unquote, orthodox view of right. the Trinity, you came across Anthony Buzzard and his uh, biblical Unitarianism. Did you—what was next for you? Did you go to his website, Focus on the Kingdom, or uh, did you get a book, or wh- what happened next? Yeah, so I, I, I found his, his, his website, Anthony's website. I found your website, ChristianMonotheism.com, and, and so many of the things that you posted online. And, uh, and so I, I, I want to thank you and Anthony and, and people like Dan Gill with his website. Just those of you who are online presenting biblical Unitarianism and conditional immortality. Now, I had already believed in the, in the kingdom on earth, but it, it was the conditional immortality doctrine that made it snap into focus for me. It's like, right. that, yeah. that's, that's our future, you know? Yeah, so, that's such a great turn of phrase there, snap into focus. I yeah. mean, so long as you're going to heaven when you die, mm-hmm. the kingdom is a blurry, distant thought. But right. uh, if it's the next big thing, then yeah, it does, it does come into focus. Yes. So after you got on these websites, you, you're studying these things, you settled this view in your own heart that mm-hmm. Jesus is the human son of God as opposed to God the son who became human. Mm-hmm. And how, how did that go with your group? 
I mean, was it controversial? I mean, did your parents turn you out and mm-hmm. say, get out of here. We don't want you around here, you crazy heretic. I mean, <laughs> what was the response in your world? The interesting thing, and I think there's always a bit of skepticism or, or just a little fear that goes along with something brand new, but I, I have to give credit to my parents and, and the rest of the, the people who were in my group uh, at that time, we were meeting on Friday nights, of giving me the opportunity to present what, what I had learned and, and the full view. And the, the great thing is I audio recorded all of those interactions and, and they're, they're there at messianicniagara.com. It, it's, it's, it's great to listen to and go back and listen to it because I'm presenting people this view and they're all Bible studiers, the, the people who are part of our Friday night group. So they had good questions to ask. And I would say most of them came to see, including my parents, uh, they, they came to see the truth of what I was uh, teaching. Uh, but of course, there were a couple who, who, who didn't want to accept what I was saying, and, and we agreed to disagree. So overall, it went over well. Yeah, I did. Definitely okay, did. Cool. And then uh, how, did you, how did you discover Glad Tidings Church? Because I mean, you didn't live very far from them. That's right. So the interesting thing is I'm trying to discover more about Anthony Buzzard and and I see who is he, you know, I'm trying to find out who is he associated with and discover the Church of God General Conference had had never heard of that before and and but of course they they have a website and and I and a listing of the church, local churches and I thought to myself, boy, it would be nice to to find a congregation that that believes in these things as well and and to be a part of that in some way. And I, I find the list of churches on the Church of God General Conference website and notice that there's only, I think at that time, three groups listed in Canada and two of them were right here. One in Welland, where I'm from, where I was originally from, and then one right here in Font Hill, which is about five minutes away. So I, I, was, I felt that that was a, an incredible you know, sign from God, if you will that uh, I should probably be a part of, of these congregations in some way. So I, I visited both and kind of got to know both. And the interesting thing, and this is part of the story that you, you really think that God is a part of this, because I, I discovered that during these years, I'm, I'm doing YouTube videos as well, because if I'm not a part of a big congregation, you know, where else am I going to um, you know, uh, put my teachings out there? So I started a YouTube channel, uh, which, which is still going today. And I find well, well, just uh, go ahead and say that for the listeners yeah. in case they want to check it out. Yeah, I Where definitely do they find can, it. They can check out youtube.com slash Messianic Niagara. And so it's uh, just using that that same uh, ministry name, Messianic Niagara, to and I, we have a bunch of videos on there that I've done over the years. You know, I don't really have a ton of time to do any right now, but I'm privileged that there one particular video has for some reason gone viral and there's over 300,000 views. But uh, wow, yeah. So I, I'm definitely pleased with the fact that uh, the videos are get, getting out there, and I, I wish I had more time to do more. And that's certainly something that I plan on doing. But um, the interesting thing is, I found, and so my channel was called Messianic Niagara, and I found another channel who who were posting not a lot of videos, but some videos on similar topics of biblical Unitarianism and so on. And they called themselves Bible Truth Niagara. I'm like, who are these people? It turns out. It was a couple, uh, one person from Glad Tidings Church in Fawn Hill and two other persons from the local Christadelphian group. And uh, okay. who, who, as most of your, you, you would know that, you know, they hold similar beliefs to us. And so I, I got in contact with them and I became friends with them. And it was actually through the, this connection 
in particular the person that uh, went to Glad Tidings that that I was made aware that they, Glad Tidings was looking for a pastor, and and that brings us to to the next point of the story. Right. So how how did that how did that work out? You just showed up one day, you started getting to know people, and then they're like, "Be our pastor." Is that how it <laughs> went? Or <laughs> it's it's pretty close. It's uh yeah. I, I was I was only attending for a few weeks. And, you know, the pastor at the time announced that he was going to be leaving and moving back to the States. And, and so I, I said, I went right up to one of the elders I, I, and I said, look, I know I'm not a pastor. At this point for about three or four years, I had been going to part time. I'd been driving to Toronto every week to take classes at a Bible college called uh, Tyndale. Uh, Bible College in, in Toronto. So I was working towards, you know, building my education to, to be in ministry in some way. I certainly didn't think that I would become a pastor of a whole church uh, that soon, but I presented myself and they were really interested in the fact that that I was relatively young, that I grew up in the area, uh, that I seemed knowledgeable about these things. And and um, they, they viewed it and we all viewed it as like, let's see where this goes and let's work together to, to see if this is, first of all, of God, and secondly, if it'll work out. And, and they, to their credit, they, they patiently stuck with me, and, and, and within a, just a few months in 2014, they, they um, hired me full-time to be their pastor. Wow. So this, this seems like a really cool connection where, mm. on the one hand, this is a desire that had been on your heart for some time. Right. And you had been, in a sense, preparing for it theologically and with Bible study and training your, your, you know, analytical powers and so on all along, not necessarily with this goal in mind. And then they also are in just the right timing and the moment of need for someone like you. And then it just all came together. I mean, it's really a great instance of seeing how God puts things together when, when he needs to. So let me ask you this. How was the training? Was it uh, like on-the-job training mostly at this point? Yeah, that, it's, I, I'm so glad you, you raised that part because, yeah, in the years previous to this, just for my own sake of learning, I'm digging into all these theological topics. And, and just, for, just because I feel like I, I want to be able to do ministry in some way, I'm leading this Friday night group. But as I mentioned earlier, we've had many visitors, people— of all different from all different walks of life, you know, visit that Friday night group, and I learned how to deal with people, and I I went from uh, being yes right that's an important skill. <laughs> so and I went personally from being somebody who was very dogmatic and very like this is the truth, and this to somebody who understood that you can hold to your convictions, but you don't have to force it on others, and and you can really have an atmosphere of tolerance and respect. And I totally believe that if it wasn't for those years of my own personal Bible study and my own training and, 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 and learning how to deal with people, that God was doing all that in order to prepare me for becoming a pastor. Because though I didn't know it at the time, all of those skills were is what enabled me to even be eligible because I would really just have been some guy <laughs> off the street if not for what God was doing in me in those years previous. And so now you've been there for four years? Yeah, you've been getting, uh, you've been finishing up your degree as well at Atlanta Bible College this time. That's right. And do they take your Tyndale credits? They they have, and so that's that's been a, a real blessing. And 
at this point, I'm just over halfway done towards my degree, and I'm you know looking forward to, to that being completed. It's just wonderful, and like like you said, I I'm taking classes when I can through Atlanta Bible College, and just continuing to learn. And even just the recent classes that I took, particularly on evangelism, has really you know shaped my thinking and helped me to lead and guide what we're doing here at Glad Tidings. Cool, cool. All right, so now that you're in the Church of God General Conference and you're not just a a member, you're a pastor, what about your previous beliefs and your your whole exposure to Messianic Judaism? How does that play in? I mean, do you have the folks at Glad Tidings keeping the Sabbath day and you move the service to Saturday instead of Sunday, or where, where are things at there? Well, it, that, that's been a real interesting journey in its own right, just in the sense of, um, you know, I went from my own understanding that the Torah, that the commandments like the Sabbath are, are not abolished. They're still relevant, uh, especially to Jewish believers. And at one point in my thinking, I, I was of the understanding, or I had the understanding that that Jewish believers and Gentile believers had the exact same obligation to the Torah, things like the Sabbath. And I lived that out because I, I was just honestly trying to live out what I believed. And and so my wife and I, we would keep the Sabbath in the same way that Orthodox Jewish people would. And we were keeping kosher and that sort of thing. How long were you guys in that practice? It must have been for, let me think here. I, w- I went to Israel in 2009, and that's when my... I had a greater awareness of, of how Jewish people practically live out those sort of things, and I got married the next year. And so it was probably the first couple years of my marriage. So for two years, my wife and I were keeping the Sabbath and keeping kosher and, and doing all those things as, as much as possible. Okay, and what was that like from for your own experience? I mean, did you love it? Did you hate it? Was it hard? Well, it was challenging in the sense that we were kind of the only ones doing it. Uh, the rest of, of the uh, Friday night group were certainly, you know, positive toward it and supportive of it, but didn't want to take it that far. Um, but for us personally, it, it was a it was a blessing. I mean, uh, again, in my understanding, I felt like I was doing the right thing and, and living the way God wanted me to live. And, and um, there's blessing, as much as there's challenges that go along with it, um, there's a lot of blessing in it too, because just the time that you have to spend with God and with family and friends and on the Sabbath, for example, and, and just uh, connecting with the Jewish community in that way uh, really helped me to, uh, I don't know, expand my horizons and, and, and sort of have a, a greater understanding of our faith in that way. Okay, back to the present day. Mm-hmm. What, how is that relationship with Glad Tidings? Right, so about... 2012 or 13, I, I had a shift in my understanding, and it, I, I think it was, no, I know it was based on First Fruits of Zion's own shift in understanding, and, and so they sort of led the way into me thinking that there is a difference between uh, a Jewish person's obligation to the to the Torah, to the those particular commandments, and a Gentile believer's obligation. They would call it that there's an invitation to Gentile believers to keep those things, but it's not an obligation. And what that allowed me to do, and, and again, you have to think maybe this is God leading me to become a pastor, to pastor a church that was not thinking the same way that I was, because it allowed me to to have this view where I am, 
I have a positive view of things like the Sabbath, but I don't feel the need to condemn any person in particular, or in general, but Gentile believers in particular, I don't feel the need to condemn anyone for not observing those things. And so becoming the pastor at Glad Tidings, I was able to still teach on my views, and, and I, I give them all the credit in the world that they allow me to teach my views, but they know, and they've, and they've seen it over the past four years, they know that I'm not going to demand anything of them other than that they have an open mind, but I have that same open mind with, with them as well. Right, right. So you have a, a good working relationship. You don't have to hide your beliefs, but at the same time, you're not dissatisfied with how they're living. So right. that's, that's good. Let's end things up here for today, because next time I want to talk to you about your whole philosophy and, well, not really philosophy, your whole theology of Torah and how how you think about it now and what your sort of like more matured perspective is and how you think that getting a better, I guess, positive view of the Torah can be helpful to all Christians. So we'll leave it here for today. And... Uh, I appreciate you taking the time out to share today. Thanks for having me, Sean. To find out more about Daniel Calcano, you can follow him on Twitter, YouTube, or visit him at MessianicNiagara.com. And I've got links to all of this, including his church, Glad Tidings Church of God, on the show notes for this episode, which you can access in your device or on Restitutio.org. Just search for Interview 34 and you'll find it there. Also, I dug up a link to the interview that Michael Brown had with Anthony Buzzard from back in 2010 that Calcano referenced in his testimony here. So if you want to go back and listen to that as well. Before wrapping up, I wanted to tell John of California, thank you so much for the review. Really appreciate it. In the iTunes store, he writes, I have really enjoyed listening to this podcast. I find the variety and topics of conversation covered in the off-script and interview categories both stimulating and thought-provoking. In the classes category, Sean's knowledge of Christian history adds a new perspective to understanding the scriptures in light of their cultural times. The podcast treats the scriptures with the respect they deserve as God's word and understands its main theme of the kingdom of God. Thanks so much, John. It means a lot that you took the time to do this, and hopefully this can help others to find this podcast as well. A couple of other bits of feedback. Troy wrote on interview 33, Can You Lose Your Salvation with Dan Gallagher? Great show. Thanks, Sean. I truly believe that the once saved, always saved doctrine, coupled with the say the sinner's prayer or ask Jesus into your heart nonsense, has led to a multitude of people with a false assurance of a salvation they never actually possessed. Wow, Troy, that is a terrifying thought, but yet at the same time, it is a thought that we have to entertain because so, so often salvation is packaged as just this one-time statement, and I was just reading Romans 10, 9, and 10 the other day, and it talked about how you have to confess Jesus as Lord, or Lord Jesus there. And of course, Jesus says that if you're going to call him Lord, in Luke 6, 46, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say? And so we want to confess Jesus as Lord, while at the same time not actually avail ourselves of his teachings or follow them. And there's a there's an, a real contradiction there that we do well to take to heart. So let's be authentic. Let's believe and behave. Let's understand and live it out. And uh, when we do that, we find that God 
God's Spirit is there to help us to live the Christian lifestyle. I also got some feedback on a recent article I posted. It's actually an old article that I just somehow had forgotten to put up until just yesterday, but it's on Matthew 28, 19. That's the text that says to go baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and so on, teaching to observe. And some people have alleged that that text is actually not in the earliest manuscripts because a church historian named Eusebius quoted a shorter version of it. So what I do in this article is just go through a number of early Christian texts before the time of Eusebius, because he's writing in the 300s, it's a little bit late. So, And I show that this original formula of Matthew 28, 19, the one that we have in our Bibles today, is actually present there in all of these guys before Eusebius, and that also the New Testament manuscripts we have that survive do only contain that that form. There, there are no manuscripts, to my knowledge, that I could dig up or that Bruce Metzger indicated in his textual commentary on the Greek New Testament that call this reading into question. So uh, I think this is the case where the gun, there, there's no smoking gun. This is just uh, this is just a conspiracy theory. And a number of folks have written in on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Restitutio asking about uh, how, how to harmonize the descriptions in Acts along with what we read in Matthew 28, 19. So if Matthew 28, 19 is legit, in other words, that the formula we're supposed to say is, uh, baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why in the book of Acts does it say they baptize in the name of Jesus Christ? There are a few ways to think about this, and I included it in the paper. I think sometimes people drop comments without actually reading the paper, but uh, that's, <laughs> it's a, I guess it's a free country. Anyhow, one, one solution is to say in Acts they're describing what happened. They're not saying what words they use. They're just describing what happened. Uh, For example, in Acts 8.16, it says they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so that was done in the authority or the name of the Lord Jesus. And uh, what they actually said was in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or it could be that that is not the formula, that that is, that is to be taken more metaphorically in Matthew 28, and that Acts contains the formula, or that there's not really a big emphasis on formula at all. Uh, let me read out just this very brief quote from Everett Ferguson. He writes, The phrases in Acts may not, however, reflect alternative formulas in the administration of baptism or alternative understandings of the meaning of the act. In some cases, the descriptions in Acts may mean a baptism administered on a confession of Jesus as Lord in Christ. And he references Acts 22.16. Or it may be a general characterization of the baptism as related to Jesus and not a formula pronounced at the baptism. In the later history, the only formula regularly attested as pronounced by the administrator includes the triune name, but Matthew, it too may be descriptive rather than formulaic. If Matthew 28.19 is not a formula, then there is no necessary contradiction to the description in the name of the Lord in Acts and Paul. And so that's from his book, Baptism in the Early Church, page 136. So, hey, there's some stuff to think about. That's not really the point of the paper. It's not to figure out how do we work Matthew 28, 19 together with Acts. Really, the point of the paper is to, to say whether or not there's textual grounds for retaining the traditional reading in Matthew 28, 19. 
and the point I end on in this paper is that the text comes before theology. We don't want the, the tail to wag the dog here. I mean, whatever the Bible says, it says, and then we need to adjust ourselves to that rather than change the Bible to make it conform to our own desired beliefs. And, and sadly, this has happened multiple times in church history. For example, 1 John 5, 7, and 8 were altered pretty early on in the Latin tradition and later on in the Greek tradition where they inserted uh, some lines to support the doctrine of the Trinity. And I guess they felt that the, the Trinity wasn't being taught there well enough, so they, they added that in. And then thankfully today, it's been removed by all modern translations done probably within the 20th century. So, uh, you know, thankfully it's not in there anymore. But this is not an acceptable practice. We don't change the book. The book changes us. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. Stay tuned for next time where Calcanio will lay out his whole pro-Torah position. So thanks for tuning in. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.